we're constantly dreaming, right? We're even dreaming right now. And the dreams are just the subconscious releasing. But because our senses are drawn externally, we're not aware of what's percolating. So what we're doing is we're inducing a state in your Benedra Patihara. And that means just drawing your senses inward so that you can be aware of what's percolating. We say that we suffer because we don't know what our deeper needs are. And because our perception is distorted, because we're seeing life through this lens that is distorted by past experiences, by culture, by what us in our lives. So when you're able to have access to what's in your subconscious, just by bringing it to awareness, you don't have to do anything. The idea in yoga is that you just bring it to awareness and in bringing it to awareness, that's all the practice is. It no longer has that power. Today's guest is actually the person who first encouraged me to enter the world of academia and formally study neuroscience. She was also my very first spiritual teacher and mentor. In this conversation with Mona Anand, we break down what the ancient practice of yoga nidra is, how it differs from other forms of meditation, its impact on the brain and nervous system, and how it can be used to release and heal subconscious and unconscious blocks, memories, and stuck emotions, as well as create an expanded state of consciousness. Mona is a co-owner of Ishta Yoga in New York City. She's also a Yogi Raj or yoga master in the Ishta Yoga lineage and is the teacher training director of Ishta's world-renowned teacher training programs, of which I am a student and graduate of. She is most passionate about and best known for her work in the field of Yoga Nidra, a guided meditation technique that we dive into and spend the entirety of today's episode exploring. Mona was first introduced to Yoga Nidra as a teenager growing up in Mumbai, India. She was profoundly affected by the deep state of relaxation she experienced and the expanded state of awareness it facilitated for her. Since then, Mona has been a lifelong practitioner and lover of Yoga Nidra, And it's this practice in particular that sparked her love of the human brain and neuroscience. Before you dive into today's episode, I would love if you could hit pause and leave us a five-star review and a written review on whatever platform you're listening on. In doing so, you help get this podcast into the ears and brains of more people like you. Now let's dive in and start talking nerdy. In episode one of this podcast, I actually talked about you a little bit. I don't know if you've listened to that one specifically yet, but I talked about how you are the person who actually encouraged me to go formally study neuroscience. So I'm really grateful to have you on today because you've been such a huge catalyst in my own scientific and spiritual journey. And in addition to really encouraging me to study neuroscience, you've really helped me develop myself as a teacher. You are my mentor for a long time. And you've also been one of the people who's consistently encouraged me to lower the bar for myself and foster a greater level of self-compassion and acceptance. So I'm so grateful to you for taking the time to come on here and talk with me today. Thank you so much, Mona. Thank you so much, Alex. And it's just amazing to see what you're doing and how you're living your life. Thank you. One of the practices that you taught to me and helped me refine in terms of my own teaching ability is the practice of yoga nidra, which has been getting so much more press these days. And I know that some big names in the world of neuroscience and podcasting like Andrew Huberman have been talking about it more and more. 
And I wanted to bring you on because this is something that has been a part of your life for a really long time. And I think a great place to begin would be if you could share, well, first and foremost, what is Yoga Nidra? Because I know there are going to be a lot of people listening who are like, what? What is she saying? What are they talking about right now? So I guess let's start there. Yes. So just on that, I've been so amazed to see how when I first told people I taught yoga nidra, they didn't, no one knew what it was. And now it's just being used very casually by everyone around. So it's pretty amazing to see the change. And it even has a new name now. What's a new name? Non-sleep deep relaxation or something like that. Um, so yoga nidra, I think the difference between yoga nidra and meditation it is a meditation. It's a guided meditation. And it's practice lying on your back in Shavasana. What makes it different than a seated meditation is that anyone firstly can practice it, whether it's a child or your grandmother, it's accessible to everyone else. Because it's guided, it leads you into a place called the hypnagogic state. And so whereas maybe when you're in a seated meditation, it's more of an active meditation, in yoga nidra, you're going into a sleep state, but maintaining our level of a sliver of awareness as you move into these deeper sleep states. Um, so when you first start practicing yoga nidra, you want to learn how to come into this place between being awake and being asleep, called the hypnagogic state. When you're in the hypnagogic state, you're able to access what lies in your subconscious and your unconscious. That's a big part of yoga nidra, is being able to access the subconscious and unconscious. Nidra means sleep. So yoga nidra is actually a pun on the word sleep because it's saying that most of humanity is asleep because we're functioning from a sliver of our consciousness. So what we're learning to do in yoga nidra is to be able to maintain a sliver of awareness in the waking state, the dream state, and the deep sleep state. The idea being that we suffer because we don't know our deeper needs and we're not aware of what lies in the subconscious and the unconscious that is distorting our perception of life. So I think that makes yoga nidra quite different than a lot of meditations and what its intention is. Its intention is to be able to, for one, enter into a very deep state of relaxation. I think that's what most people, when you say the word yoga nidra, think. It's how to go into a deep state of relaxation. We often say 20 minutes of yoga nidra is equivalent to four hours of sleep. And we can talk about that more, what that deep state of relaxation that you enter into is. But then it's also used to help to release what's in the subconscious, unconscious. And that, I would say, compared to other meditations, this is really trying to go down instead of a lot of meditations are trying to lift you up above your level of thought or to look at your thoughts. But this is a meditation going down to release what's creating your thoughts, your beliefs. And the other thing yoga nidra does is it helps you to experience an expanded state of awareness. So you can use yoga nidra in many different ways. You can use it just for deep relaxation. You can use it to help you to fall asleep. You can use it to experience an expanded state. You can use it to release your subconscious. Does that sort of answer your question? It's a long answer. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think that the best answers usually evoke even more questions. So now I feel like I have even more to ask you. I think the first thing that I want to kind of point out in what you just shared is that the goal or one of the goals is this ability to grow aware and conscious in our subconscious and unconscious states. 
And the way that I usually try to explain this to my students or my clients is that in the practice of lucid dreaming, the goal is to be able to wake up when you're in the state of a dream so that you can control and manipulate your dreams. Whereas in yoga nidra, it's almost like you're trying to simulate this experience where you're able to dream while being awake. And to have this ability to really masterfully move through these various states of consciousness, waking consciousness, dreaming consciousness, and then deep sleep consciousness, while still maintaining this thread of awareness. And I'm curious if you can elaborate a little bit more on what the therapeutic value would be of being able to access the subconscious mind and some of the patterns and programming that exists there. I mean, just to go back to what you were saying, we're constantly dreaming, right? We're even dreaming right now. And the dreams are just the subconscious releasing. But because our senses are drawn externally, we're not aware of what's percolating up. So what we're doing is we're inducing a state in the Yoganidra of Pratihara. And that means just drawing your senses inward so that you can be aware of what's percolating up. We say that we suffer because we don't know what our deeper needs are and because our perception is distorted because we're seeing life through this lens that is distorted by past experiences, by our culture, by what happened in our lives before. So when you're able to have access to what's in your subconscious, just by bringing it to awareness, you don't have to do anything with it. The idea in yoga is you just bring it to awareness and in bringing it to awareness, that's all the practice is. It no longer has that power over you. So it's a little different than a lot of therapy, which is analyzing your thoughts. You don't do any analysis with your kinetic. It's just simply bringing it to consciousness. Because if you don't know it's there, it's very powerful. Absolutely. It reminds me of the Carl Jung quote where he says something to the effect of, when the subconscious remains unconscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. I love that quote. It's it's a good one. I think you might have been the person who first introduced me to it. Over the course of our lives, we adopt all of these subconscious and unconscious beliefs based on early childhood experiences, based on society, based on our culture, based on the repetitive patterns and behaviors that we participate in. You know, we make meaning up and that becomes this filter that distorts our perception of reality. And what you just shared is that there isn't actually anything we need to do with it once we see what's lying there beneath the surface, that the process of seeing is enough, which I think is so counterintuitive from what we're, we're told on social media and in this world of self-development and personal transformation is like, you have to be an active participant in your healing, that you have to really go for it, that you have to do more, that you have to strive more. And this practice really for me feels like one of coming back to a state of rest and being and letting that be enough to facilitate healing just through the practice of self-observation, which I think is so powerful. Absolutely. That's beautifully put. I mean, it's a relaxed focus. The whole practice is you're just moving through the body in a certain order to put you into that state to just see what percolates up and to do nothing with it, but just to allow it to come into your conscious awareness. Yoga Nidra's place is really helping to release it without doing anything with it. 
And that is just beautiful. It's because otherwise, so often if you are continuously analyzing what comes up, you're just strengthening those pathways in your brain anyway. If you're analyzing over and over everything that comes up and what's wrong, yoganism does not want you to do that. It just simply wants you to bring, the technique is just to bring it to awareness. In fact, a lot of the technique is the opposite, right? It's like, it's a pairing of opposites. It's teaching you how to not get stuck in what's arisen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's so powerful to note because the goal of a lot of, of the more austere seated meditation practices are it's non-reactivity. It's being able to be with reality as it is without reacting to it. And so much of what I see in my students and my clients is this pattern of, I will exercise this thing in myself that I don't like, like a demon out of my system, and I will get rid of it. And I think that it's so common within the practice of yoga nidra as well, when we see these things coming up, like if a really big emotion kind of bubbles up to the surface of our consciousness or an old memory I can see the impulse in my students, my clients, and in myself from time to time being like, what do I do with this? I need to find something else to do with it. And and that in and of itself is a pattern too. Like the way we show up to what is arising is a pattern. And this is a way of neutralizing our reaction to the myriad of emotions and memories and experiences that we do have so that we're able to then move forward and and heal. I think one of the big things that I learned from you is that memory changes every time we think about it. And that's part of what gives us the ability to heal. You know, as time goes on, we don't have the same level of emotional reactivity to events that happened five years ago or 10 years ago, because our state when we're in the process of remembering is more neutral and balanced. And if we're digging up an old memory from the subconscious mind and we meet it with this sense of urgency and self-criticism and need to like banish it from our psyche, then that's just attaching more self-judgment and criticism to that emotion or that memory in and of itself. So I think that it's such a beautiful practice to come to a state of non-reactivity, but to do that through almost like this effortlessness as opposed to force and willpower and efforting, which we're all so much better at these days. Plus, I mean, like you said, it doesn't even come up the way it happened because that's just the nature of memory. We put together pieces of information to create a memory. And that's why your memory and my memory of the same event could be different, right? That we're highly efficient our brain and what we pull up. So we can't take it so seriously anyway in that sense. I think the practice of yoga nidra is so powerful also because when you get into, say, the pairing of opposites, the idea is really that it's the, like you said, you're pushing away, you're pulling at it, and you're learning to be neutral. So the pairing of opposites is teaching you to go from one emotion to the other and to be able to just let things move through rather than to holding on to one and getting rid of the other. So that habit is in everything. It's not just we were talking about emotions. It's even in memories that come up, right? It's the wanting to fix it, to do something with it and just let it just move through. So you mentioned the pairing of opposites as one part of this practice. I think at this point, some listeners who are very unfamiliar with this are going to be like, what? What are these people doing in this practice? I'm curious if you can give us like a, a very 
abridged outline of what happens when someone's going through this practice. Basically, we say that there's happiness, there's sadness, there are all these emotions being on this plane, right? And if you come to your mat to be free of feeling sad and happy and angry and peaceful, then you're going to feel like your practice has failed because that is just the texture of life. So what are we learning to do? We're learning to let life flow through, right? Not to hold on to what we like and to push away what we don't like. That's what we tend to do, right? We grasp for what we like, we push away what we don't like. And so that in Eastern philosophy is very much a part of learning to be able to just like the wind moving through the trees, it's often described as letting feeling and emotion move so in Yoga Nidra, what we do is we learn to move from one state to the other state, right? Generally, if something is good, we want to keep it. But when we go to something that's difficult, like something that made us really sad or something that was traumatic, we have trouble firstly getting out of it. We get stuck in it, right? So the pairing of opposites teaches us if I'm stuck in sadness, instead of analyzing my sadness and developing those pathways of sadness more and more in our brains, we can go to what that sadness is looking for, happiness, right? We can go to rest on the opposite. And that's a concept. It's called Pratibhaksha Bhavana. And it really means this is way before there was any really looking at the brain and neuroscience. These yogis thousands of years ago understood that if you get stuck in one state, the way out of it is not to keep analyzing it. And so the pairing of opposites is allowing yourself to feel one, but then moving to the other. So if you're feeling sad, letting yourself rest on happiness. If you're feeling angry, letting yourself rest on being a moment where you felt peaceful. If you're feeling afraid, letting yourself rest in a moment where you felt safe. Not to escape it, so you go back and forth, but you're no longer afraid of that state because you know how to bring yourself out of it. Right? Because if you can't feel sad, you can't feel happy. Right? If you're so desperately not to feel one, you can't feel the other. So it teaches you how to go between different emotional states. And we usually start with something like heavy or light, something that's simpler, that's more of a body sensation. But it's really teaching you to have this equanimity, to be able to feel these different moving emotions. And it's also interesting because just as we were talking about memories are so potent because of the emotion attached to them. And when things come up, if you feed them the emotion they're looking for, it takes away the charge. So it also helps to release the charge attached to a particular memory when you rest on the opposite. Pairing of opposites is used a lot to help to release. It's used a lot for PTSD. It's used just in your own life to help you to be able to not get stuck in one particular state. And it's quite a different approach than we often have in the West of analyzing a lot of how we're feeling. We don't want to strengthen those pathways of the brain by sitting on what anxiety or depression, but this is a way out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think the thing that I want to highlight in what you just said that is so, so important is that this is not emotional suppression. This is not numbing. This is giving yourself permission to feel what that we could say like more negative or unpleasant or unpleasurable emotional experience is. And not getting stuck in it, which I think is the allure for a lot of people, not even consciously, because most of us are like, I hate feeling bad. I hate feeling shitty. 
but not getting stuck in it, as you mentioned, and being able to strengthen pathways associated with going to the opposite so that we are able to make that transition more seamlessly and effectively in the other parts of our life where we're not laying down in Shavasana moving through this practice. Before we even get to the pairing of opposites in a yoga nidra practice, there are a few other things that happen before and after. Do you mind sharing with the listeners a little bit more about what they can expect when they go into a practice like this? The first thing you do is the rotation of awareness through the body, often referred to even as body scans, right? Moving your awareness through the body in a particular order. And that creates, we say, a circuit of energy through the sensory motor cortex. You're moving along the sensory motor cortex. So just like a neurosurgeon will probe the surface of the brain and that triggers a different point in the body, the whole body is mapped along the sensory motor cortex. In yoga nidra, we do the opposite. We move through the body to sort of trigger these points in the brain. Now, what it does is it induces a deep state of relaxation. And it's so just on a very basic level, it helps to correct autonomic nervous system imbalances. It helps to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. It helps us to have more awareness of our inner world, interception, more connection with our feelings and our just more aware of our inner world. And it's only when we're aware of our inner world that we have an ability to feel anyone else. So it helps us with empathy. It helps us even to just deeply relax yeah, and have that vertical integration between our thoughts and our feelings, just body sensation and interception. And then from there, what comes next? So first, we always do a, a rotation of awareness. And then we do counting back breaths. And so we usually do, sometimes we'll count back 11 breaths, 27 breaths. That helps to deprogram your mind and takes you into a place of deep still. That's very similar to hypnosis or hypnotherapy, which is something that I had the opportunity to experience a few years ago and had this moment of, oh my goodness, I, I know this. This is so, it's so similar in so many ways to the practice of yoga nidra. So the structure is, is in most schools, moving through a rotation of consciousness, a body scan of sorts to begin, and then this counting backwards of the breath and then a pairing of opposites. And then usually that will evolve into, if there's time, some rapid and longer visualizations. What is the value of moving into guided visual states like that? When we do the rapid visuals, you know, it's sort of like you're putting in a suggestion to release what's in the subconscious. So suppose I said, in blue ocean, I might see a beautiful beach in the Caribbean. And Alex, you might see yourself uh, being attacked by a shark. Let's just say, you don't know what you're pulling out, right? That simple blue ocean can be beautiful to one person, just a postcard to another person, and pull up pull up a memory of having trouble getting in when the tide was out or anything, right? So we just drop these suggestions and then it brings our past memories. So we can use it to help to release what lies on the subconscious, we can also use it just to, because whatever you play across the screen of your mind, your body believes is actually happening. So you can use it to induce a particular state, right? I could put very peaceful visuals, sleepy visuals to help you to fall asleep. 
but traditionally it's used to help to release what's in your subconscious. Um, and sometimes we use images that are culturally appropriate, like relevant. Sometimes if you look at a yoga nidra practice from a different country, it might not be relevant to you. So culturally relevant, usually something that has an emotional attachment, like your mother or your mother's eyes, things like that, will pull up something strong. Either you'll feel just like you miss your mother, you love your mother, you're mad at your mother. It will bring a reaction. Sometimes we put images that are not grounded in reality, like say Peter Pan or something, and you'll see it because when you're in that state, you're not stuck in your reality. So you can also be able to see see anything in that state, which actually is one of the things people have enjoyed the most in some of my yoga nidras. But that's the idea of the fast moving visuals. They move fast enough that you can't get stuck. You just have these different images going by and it helps to pull up memories on one end or it can just be used, as I said, to induce a particular state. Amazing. And then after that will often come a long visualization too. I mean, the, the long visualization helps you to experience an expanded state, right? You can take people in that state. They can not be trapped in their bodies anymore. You can go up into the universe. You can fly all around. You can just take a walk and go to your favorite place. You're not trapped. You can rely on your memory to go to places that you've been to before, or you can just expand out and experience yourself beyond your body. Or you can even go back in time and you can take people back to places in their childhood and help to release memories. So it's used in many different ways. In a class, I'll often use it just to let people, you know, it's so powerful what you place on the screen of your mind. And these long visualizations, you can just see the room changes. People drop into this place of stillness and ease. The energy just shifts in long visualization. Something that you've mentioned a few times so far in this episode is creating an expanded state of consciousness. And I'm curious for you what exactly that means. Is it just the ability to experience ourselves as something that is beyond this physical body? Or what exactly does that entail for you? That's one thing for sure, not to just be trapped, to just be able to feel yourself, your consciousness expand out of your body and not to be trapped in your body. But it's also the clarity that comes sometimes when you do these long visualizations where the dots connect without you trying, because you see the bigger picture. Without effort, it, you just have insight. And it's also just fun because you can see anything when you're in that state. So you're just no longer stuck in your reality. It allows you to see a different way and to not be feeling, I think, visualization, and we can get into some cult, but to allows you to see what you'd like to manifest, not trapped in, a, in your reality or your point of view. Absolutely. Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about visualization and mental rehearsal a lot in terms of manifestation and how when we can sit in a, a state of visualization and really put ourselves into the feeling of what it would be like to live in our future, we start to build and strengthen the neural pathways associated with what it would be like to become that person who has what they want and is capable of creating it. 
And I know that that's been so, so helpful for me in terms of making some of the big life changes and transitions and growing in the ways that I've wanted to. So you mentioned this word sankalpa, and a a lot of the words that you've mentioned so far on this podcast have been Sanskrit. So I think the the next two questions that I have for you are, and we can definitely revisit them, but number one, what is sankalpa? And number two, can you explain a little bit more about your background in the spiritual philosophies behind this practice? Yeah. Um, Sankalpa is more seeing what your deeper purpose is. Right? And if we say that we're all a part of the evolution of this universe, then we, as part of this universe, have our little role. And that role is not static. It keeps changing because we everything is continuously changing. A lot of your schools of yoga and will use a sankalpa or intention at the beginning of a practice. We tend to use it more at the end of the practice so that it's not coming from your mind but it's coming from a deeper place of what really comes from your essence of what you'd like to put your attention into and what matters to you, you know. But it begins also in the practice of actually, like you said, seeing what you would like to manifest, seeing it. If once you've seen it and it's happened and you walk yourself back, you can believe it could happen rather than I would like this to happen, you'll see. You can bring that into this idea of seeing what you'd like to see manifest. So that's Sankalpa. It's a big part of yoga nidra. A big part of yoga nidra I think that doesn't get enough attention is the creativity, right? Putting yourself into that state, just being in that state. It's a state that allows, whenever I don't know what I want to do, I just lie myself down in a state of yoga nidra and it all becomes very clear. And I'm not thinking about it. I just go there. I think about something a lot. And then I just lie and go into that state. And when I come out, I just know it ties it all together. And that too, with even anything that you're working on. There's so much research now on this, but it's such a part of yoga nidra where if you're working really hard on something and that has a very, you know, your attention on a particular subject or something you're learning that changes or it really is important in neuroplasticity, but then also it's just, lying back and allowing them that that passive relaxation that allows everything to yeah it reminds me a lot of a lot of the the research that's been done on sleep cycles and specifically REM sleep cycles or rapid eye movement sleep cycles that's the time of night when we're capable of dreaming and it's in those REM sleep cycles where our brain almost yields this ability to kind of zoom out and map together big picture themes from our life. So mapping together the themes of what's occurring right now, what's happened earlier on in childhood, where is there a connection, where is there a through line, and effectively create these narratives for us of of what's going on and our perception of the world and solving problems and making connections between distant neural pathways that when merged together have the answers to problems that we're trying to solve. And there's there's a prevalence of theta brain waves in REM sleep cycles when we're dreaming. And to circle back to something we talked about in the beginning in Yoga Nidra, we're trying to effectively dream while we're awake. And in doing so, giving 
people's access to these different brainwave prominences that we don't normally have access to when we're just walking around and talking to each other and eating. And so there is this ability to be creative and problem solve that comes from giving ourselves the opportunity to lie back and really rest, which I think is so important to acknowledge. Yeah. And I think where we make better decisions when we're in that state, you know, just like you said, I mean, I even think sometimes people will tell me that they'll do a yoga nidra practice and they suddenly go back in time in yoga nidra to their childhood and suddenly they, they can see it all. It's like suddenly clear. They've connected the dots. It's just there. Or Bindo talks about light, intuition being lighting a match, right? In a dark room, you see the whole rather than the linear progression of saying this plus this gets you this, right? And it's that seeing the whole that you get that ties it. And that's, you know, of course, the, your memory centers in your brain light up when you're practicing yoga. So it gives you access to all these memories and you can make these connections. So I think you just in terms of whether it's just what you're actually focusing on right now or whether you're looking at a bigger picture, it helps you with all of that. Yeah. So the follow-up question, the part two was, what is your own personal background with the spiritual side of this? And something I meant to ask you in the beginning that we just got so caught up in conversation, I forgot to until now, like, where did you first learn the practice of yoga nidra? When did it become a part of your life? So I grew up in Bombay in India, Mumbai, and we had in school a teacher who would come in and teach yoga nidra. So we would just all come down to lie down on the floor in the gym, and she would lead us to this practice of deep relaxation. And it had such a profound effect on me. I just went into a state of stillness that I'd never experienced and a state of just bliss. I just felt at ease, peace, relaxed, still. I was a competitive athlete, so I was always going, going, pushing, pressing. And this, when she would come and just lead us through a yoga nidra, it was an, an altered state of deep relaxation that I was so moved by that I wanted to bring it into my life from then on. So she used to say 20 minutes of yoga nidra was equivalent to four to six hours of sleep. I continued to do it from then. I learned that technique. I think all kids in school should be taught how to have their own ability to bring themselves into a state of deep relaxation, deep rest, clarity in making decisions. The ability to hold information, to be able to recall all of the things that yoga nidra gives you that sometimes you don't think of. So anyway, from there, I moved to the U.S. My mom is American. My father's Indian. So I grew up with my dad being Hindu and my mom Catholic. So I had two different spiritual traditions coming at me in two different countries. And I was always really interested in what was the connection between the two. So that was my just sort of spiritual background, being having both in my life. And then when I came to the U.S., even when I was in college, and I never thought I would ever be a yoga teacher, I would tell my roommate and girl, just lie down. I'll lead you through this technique. You can stay up all night. It'll all come together. <laughs> lie down. She, said, she says, I can't believe this is what you actually do now. <laughs> so you're saying in college, you used to encourage people to pull all-nighters to study and <laughs> Use yoga nidra as a sleep substitute. I have to say that actually, you know, I'm a very last-minute person, and it has been that habit. But, but 
what I have learned from it is actually, I didn't know. Now I read all of these research as what we were just talking about. And I was doing that without knowing it. Sometimes it's so much fun when you're doing something and you don't know, but you just know it's working. The idea that I wouldn't set my alarm for five in the morning and then study and run into an exam. I knew I had to intensively work on something and then lie back into a state of yoga and it would all make sense. So I had figured that part out, you know, but then I didn't know why. I thought it was just deep relaxation. I didn't realize that that actually is what happens, you know, if you intensively work on something and then you lie back. It helps you to absorb it much more, let me say up to 50% more and recall it. So yeah, so I was teaching everyone how to do this, to lie back. And I would set my alarm 20 minutes and I'd lie down and do this. And I thought that I was understanding it so much better because it was like I'd had six hours of sleep. So then I just always used yoga and just to help me deeply relax, to help me make decisions, to help me to connect the dots. I used it all through graduate school. I mean, I then used it when I had my daughter, you know, and I had to stay up all night. I could just close my eyes and lead myself into a yoga nidra, and it would change the way I felt. I suddenly felt refreshed and awake. Yeah. And then when my daughter was three or four years old and she had trouble sleeping, I, I figured out, okay, I'd lie her back down and I would take her on these long journeys fly all over the world on a magic carpet and I kind of figured out from my own experience that I could change what was on the screen of our mind through visualization first we get her to deeply relax and then through visualization I could lead her into sleep so it was just something that has always been with me when I did the regular training it was then be yoga at that stage there was not much yoga nidra around but I started bringing yoga nidra into every class I taught, combining it with restorative yoga because it works so well to go into a state of where your muscles and joints are relaxed and then you go into a state of yoga nidra. It just takes it to a different level. It's just been a part of my life and something I love teaching other people because I just think it's such a gift. It's been a gift for me to have this, to be able to have a say in my inner state, you know, and to have this place that I can go whenever I'm feeling stressed or anxious and know how to de-stress and how to just even to clear my mind and to just be able to, just to see what it has done. I've had students who have been able to get rid of headaches that they would not get rid of even through medical procedures with cancer, get rid of the pain. I mean, it's amazing what this technique does. So it inspires me watching it and what they what they experience. Something that I want to ask you, because I've noticed this in myself, is that at this point in my understanding of the practice and my facilitation of the practice, I'm capable of leading myself through it as well. And I never go as deep when I'm guiding myself as when somebody else is guiding me. And I think that it's because when I have to be the person who's in control of the facilitation and the recipient, there's still this part of my my mind that has to remain active and alert. And I feel like when I can just surrender and let myself be led, I'm able to really drop in a lot deeper. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that as well, the differences between a self-led practice versus being led by somebody else. You know, it's interesting. 
I always tell everyone, don't think your goal is to lead yourself. <laughs> it's not, you know, your goal is to be able, if there is a goal, is to enter into this state of relaxation, right? So I think with yoga nidra, you have to be practicing yoga nidra for a very long time anyway. Like you and I can lead ourselves in a yoga nidra, but a student new to yoga nidra cannot. They're much better being with a recording. And there is never, like you've graduated, to not need a recording. It's about the state you enter into. Um, I I don't tend to use recordings. I've been doing it for so long. I just kind of do it to myself. But I totally agree with you on that. You can go much deeper, especially in terms of long visualization. Like you can lead yourself through a rotation, but it's really nice to have somebody lead you to a place that you're not creating that long visualization, unless you're going back to a particular place that you've been to as a child or you're just expanding out. But if you're going on those long, beautiful visual journeys, then it's nice to be just a consumer of whatever's on the screen of your mind rather than the director and the cameraman and doing all the other work as well. Absolutely. And I think in terms of like the rotation of awareness, that I think as you get more and more aware, it's just intuitive. You just know these rotations. Then it becomes so useful to even do on the subway, to do just when you're sitting there and you just want to give yourself a refresh and calm yourself down. I mean, the beauty of yoga is is all of the steps are so powerful that you can just take each step and just do that to change your inner state based on what you need. So you could take visualization and just sit back and just visualize. My husband, we moved to Australia, like I was telling you, and we lived there for a year. And when we came back, my husband just loved living in Sydney. And so his long visualization was the drive down from our house to taking the ferry to go across. It was all of the details. And that was his just bliss going back on his journey, you know? So you can take any piece of it also based on what you need. If somebody wanted to begin looking into this practice more and wanted to experience it, where can they begin to not only be led by you, but are there any other resources you would recommend in general? I don't tend to go and listen to other yoga nutrients. I have my own recordings that I listen to. You know, I think there are lots of recordings on Spotify. There are lots of different, try different yoga nutrients, teachers, see what appeals to you. Because they are very different. Um, even in the rotation, it's very different. And just like with yoga, you might like, one particular style of yoga nidra you might that might really resonate with you and another doesn't so don't think if you just it's a one-size-fits-all if you go do a yoga nidra practice and it doesn't resonate with you even in the rotation right some schools of yoga nidra go really slowly encouraging you to relax each just in that way we don't we move faster it's just moving your awareness not telling your body to do anything so even in that, that's different. Even in the order we go in. So that's what I would suggest. Try different insight timer as yoga nidras. Um, and then if there's a particular teacher that you resonate with or voice, it's really the voice that you resonate with often that leads you into stillness and the technique, then you should just follow that person's yoga nidras for a while. And then, you know, you can just move on if there's, somebody else is practiced then appeals to you more. Amazing. 
where can we find and I'll include links to all of these things in the show notes when this episode comes out but where could somebody learn more from you so I have a, a monthly subscription it's called Yoga Nidra with Mona Anand and it is on um, the Teachable app you could also access it through Ishta, the Ishta website um, I have two different subscriptions. One is just for, and they're just gentler yoga nidra practices for someone who's new. Um, and then the other is for my workshops, which are much deeper practices. So people who come for those want the much deeper probing the subconscious practices. So I've separated them as two separate uh, monthly subscriptions. And I also teach workshops. So if anyone wants to the online experience it, they can come on or they want to do a yoga nidra training they can come and join even if you don't want to teach yoga nidra it's just amazing and how much inattention you're not even aware you're holding when you practice these techniques and when you spend a few days or a few hours um in these practices you come out feeling completely different absolutely as a graduate of your teacher trainings I can personally attest to how amazing they are. If anybody out there is down for a trip to New York City, <laughs> I highly recommend studying with Mona in person as well if you have the opportunity to do so because, Mona, you're also now one of the co-founders of Ishta Yoga as well. Do you want to share a little bit more about the studio? Yeah, so I'm a co-owner with Alan Finger and Sarah Finger. And actually, Alan and I developed a system of yoga nidra that we teach of Ishta. So if you want to experience that, that's what we do. Uh, we have a studio in New York City. And then we're online. And what has been amazing is because Ishta has been around for so many years and New York is a transient city. So over the last, I don't know, 20 years, people have come 30 years into New York, taken training and moved on. The pandemic was a time of separation, but really a time of connection for Ishta because people from all over the world, wherever they moved, all got together, and especially everyone in the teacher training that is part of Acharya. So we have a community of teachers that have done the training for Ishta, and everyone was able to get on, and it was just such an amazing experience to be able to see so many people that we just care about and are so connected to all be able to be on the same platform. It was really nice. So you can take classes wherever you are. Amazing. I was taking them during the pandemic from California. It was so nice to be back in that space again. Okay, Mona. So is there any other final word of wisdom you would like to share with listeners before we close out for today? I think it's changed since the pandemic. But before that, there was more in the West of doing than being in terms of practices of yoga. It was more asana-driven. I think that it is in the more receptive practices that you have the more profound shift in your energy and being able to connect the dots in life. I would say that Ishta is a great system that really allows you to work at many different levels. You know, we have schools that are just mindfulness and meditation and on the mind-body and then they're schools that focus just on asana and what's beautiful about the Ishta system and I think how we should practice is to integrate and I think that's more the approach around the world in all fields integrating the body the mind the breath just on many different levels is so 
I would say that in your practice and in whatever healing you're doing, don't just work at one level, but work at many levels and let it be an integrated approach. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thanks for coming on and talking nerdy to me. Oh, thank you. This has been such a treat to come talk to you. Thank you for inviting me. If you loved this episode, help us get it into the ears and brains of more listeners like you by sharing it on social media. When you share on Instagram, make sure you tag me at Alex underscore Nashton. Instagram is also the best place to send me your questions about the episode material and make requests for future topics and guests. New episodes of Talk Nerdy to Me drop every single Wednesday. When you hit subscribe, you'll be notified of new releases so you never have to miss one. Last but not least, this podcast baby would not be possible without Adam Russell. Adam, I am so grateful to have had your support in creating this podcast. Thank you for always being willing to talk nerdy to me.